Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the COVID What Comes Next podcast with Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health and a globally respected pandemic scientist and physician. Every week here, Dr. Jha will analyze events of the previous several days and offer his assessment and guidance for what lies ahead. I'm your host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal and the USA Today Network. Good morning, Ashish. Uh, how are you? Good morning, Wayne. I'm really well. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. So in the three weeks since our last podcast, a lot has happened across the United States. Uh, can you give us an overall assessment today during this, which is the last week of August 2021? Where are we, you ask? Yes. Um, we are not where I want us to be. How about that as a starting point? Um, we are generating a lot of new infections every day, 150,000 or so people getting infected every day. Surely a substantial underestimation given that we're seeing test positivity rise. A lot of kids getting infected, uh, and we can talk about what's driving that. Yeah, um, We're at over 1,000 deaths a day. And I will tell you that if you had asked me three months ago whether we would hit 1,000 deaths a day on an ongoing basis, I would have said no. Because even though it was starting to become clear by then that the Delta variant was here and might be a problem, I just did not think that people would tolerate this level of suffering and death and not go out and get a life-saving vaccine that's cheap, easy, and free to get and super safe. So I think we're in in, in pretty tough uh, situation. Now, a couple of things have happened recently that I will tell you that give me hope. Um, one is I think, and I hope you hear a lack of confidence in my voice because I'm not fully confident, but I think the South where the most of the horrible infections are happening, the horrible infection numbers, I think it has peaked. I think we are starting to take a downturn. Um, that's what I'm seeing in the data, but boy, that's not, I'm not convinced, but I'm hopeful. Um, so that's one. Second is we just got the Pfizer vaccine fully approved. I think it's a really big deal and I can explain why, but I, so there are things that are making me feel hopeful here, um, Wayne, uh, but plenty to be concerned about. So I was just looking at the rates, increases in people getting vaccinated in, in different states and leading the way now are a number of Southern states, meaning yep. people are now getting vaccinated there. And a lot of reasons for that, I think one is that, you know, the full approval of the Pfizer vaccine. Another, according to what I was seeing on the New York Times is, you know, this is now starting to hit rural areas that never were before. Do you see that as encouraging? And, and two part question, number one, number two, is full approval moving people off the proverbial fence? Yeah. 
I do see, I've been watching the numbers on who's get, where the vaccinations are taking up. And, and it's been very clear to me for a month that where the surges are happening is where vaccinations are starting to rise as a result, because look, you can, you can be filled with misinformation about how this is all a hoax and not a big deal and nothing but the flu. But when your family member is hospitalized and sick or dying, that misinformation, you could get cuts through the misinformation pretty quickly. So I think a lot of people are starting to come to realize that they have been misled and the, and, and are going out and getting vaccinated. Um, I, again, I think that's terrific. And I'm, and I hope it continues and I hope people continue getting vaccinated in bigger and bigger numbers. I think the full approval is going to help a lot. And I I'm a bit more optimistic than the average public health expert on this. And I'll tell you why I don't think it's going to help in massive numbers in terms of moving individuals. There clearly are five, 10% of people who are not vaccinated, who say the full approval will get me there. And they may jump off the fence where it's going to make a big difference. Wayne is in companies, businesses, schools, universities. A lot of them have said they want to wait for full approval. Now they got it. And now there is no excuse whatsoever for not allowing for full for uh, mandates. So I think you're going to see a slew of mandates in the days and weeks ahead. And those mandates are going to make a big difference. Yeah, you've you kind of got ahead to a question I had, which is the growing number of corporations that have some degree of mandate uh, for all or, or some of their employees. And, you know, I did a story yesterday. CBS and Walgreens have them for some employees. Bank of America, CNN, Delta. There's a very long list. Do you, do you see that growing? I, I think you just said basically that you do see that more companies will go that way. I see it growing. Um, I also see a lot of people moving the mandate time period up. So there are uh, companies, there are even hospitals. And this to me is shocking that there are even hospitals that have not mandated it or have said, I've put in these really loose guidelines, like, please be vaccinated by November. Uh, and I see a lot of them now shifting to earlier time periods. You know, I, I say to folks, you know, who came out with one of the smarter mandates recently, Goldman Sachs. Not only does every employee, if you want to go visit them in their offices in New York, you have to show proof of vaccination. You know, Goldman Sachs is not like your classic kind of liberal public health uh, entity. <laughs> no, there is. They're very focused on a very specific reason. They want to protect their employees. They, they really value their employees. They think their value, their employees are their business and they want to make sure their employees are not getting sick. And that's why Goldman is doing this. Goldman is not doing this because of some broader public health goal. I mean, maybe they are, but they're doing it because it's going to help their bottom line. And what I say to companies is, you know, if Goldman is doing this, uh, you really ought to be thinking about why you're not doing it. Um, so, yeah, I see more and more of this happening. So children are starting to go back to schools now, depending on where you are in the United States. But this happens, as uh, we've touched on before, infection rates among teenagers and kids are starting to climb. Talk about teens. Why, you know, 12 and up, you're eligible for the vaccine. Why are rates rising in this group? Yeah. Um, so a couple of things. If you just take a step back and say, why do kids get infected? Where do they get infected from? And we think it's a little bit of a slightly different dynamic for teens, older teens than for younger kids. Older teens, I think there's a lot of infection that's spread among the kids, among the teens. And part of this in my mental model is, you know, I have, I have a 16-year-old and I have a nine-year-old and I think about their lives. And my 16-year-old spends a lot of time with her friends 
for whatever reason, she does not find spending massive amounts of time with her dad to be number one on her list. Uh, that, um, that, by the way, is timeless. <laughs> I can speak to that as well. <laughs> right. And so when you live in an unvaccinated community, um, teens definitely spread to each other. And this is not just in schools. It's mostly out of schools, right? They're hanging out and uh, having sleepovers and staying in each other's rooms and hanging out and doing stuff. So that's how that stuff spreads. Younger kids, the evidence is overwhelmingly clear. Most younger kids get their infections from their parents, caregivers, older siblings. That's where they're getting most of the infections. And then once you go back to school, if you're in not putting in mitigation efforts, yes, then younger kids will spread it to other younger kids as well. But the primary source of infections for kids is adults. And so when we have seen massive increases in infections in Florida and Texas and Missouri and elsewhere, no surprise, infections rise among adults. It'll start in, uh, going up in kids. And that's what we're, we've seen largely so far. Schools, if you don't have basic mitigation efforts, will then drive that even further. So a lot of schools, a lot of school districts, and this is true around the country, not universal, of course, uh, do have mitigation measures. There's an increasing number of vaccine mandates for educators and support staff, uh, and as well as masking. Where, where do you stand on that? There are still some holdouts, school districts saying, yeah. no, we don't want to do this. There was a suit in Rhode Island or there's going to be a suit in Rhode Island and against mandates. Where do you stand on that? I, yeah. I think I know the answer, but go ahead. Yeah, well, I'll tell you that for me, this is personal, right? Because I got two kids. Uh, I mean, I have three kids, actually. <laughs> Sorry, I have a 16-year-old, 14-year-old, and a 9 Let them listen to this. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have kids uh, who go to school. And so I'm on the Newton Public Schools Medical Advisory Committee. And when I give advice, it's public, what we came out with. Um, I tweeted about it. But it's, it's not just me giving a generic advice. It's personal. How do I keep my kids safe in school? And what I have, what we laid out, the advisory group laid out, is what every public health expert knows about how to do this. The bottom line here is this. We can get all kids back to school safely this fall. I am confident that we can. But if we try to wing it, if we just ignore the science and the data and just say, let's get them back, it will go badly. So let's talk about what the science says is important and what it says is less important. Most important stuff in my mind, and there are four things that I think really matter, and they all matter. One is vaccinations. Kids over 12 and over should be getting vaccinated and adults should have mandatory vaccinations. To me, this is a no brainer, mandatory vaccinations for, for adults. Look, if there's mandatory vaccinations at Goldman Sachs, if there's van mandatory vaccinations at Boston Children's Hospital and Houston Methodist, there can be mandatory vaccinations in the Providence Public Schools. That strikes me as a no brainer for adults. Second, and, and strong encouragement for 12 to 17 year olds. Second is ventilation. This is an airborne disease and we know how to improve the quality of air and we've got to figure out how to do that. And by the way, a year ago, we knew that, but a year ago, schools said we don't have the money to do the improvements. Congress has given school districts, uh, towns, cities, states, billions and billions of dollars. If schools have not improved ventilation at, by now, that's on them. I don't think you should. I think school leaders should be losing their jobs if they have not improved ventilation because it's unconscionable 15, 16 months into a pandemic when you have the money and the science and the data is clear for you not to do that. So ventilation improvements are a no brainer, including just being able to open windows, by the way. That's a massive ventilation improvement. Third is testing. We have very good data that if you do weekly testing in schools of everybody, 
you pick up so many infections before they've had a chance to spread that you actually dramatically lower spread in schools. And then last but not least is masking. Uh, indoor masking, especially right now where there's a surge of infections happening, make a lot of sense. Imagine we get to a point where infection numbers get really low. I think masking can come off. So I really believe that masking is one part of a broader solution. And we have somehow turned this into a political football makes no sense. We all agree we got to protect kids. No one says masking alone is going to do it. But it's part of a broader portfolio of activities that we absolutely need to have. Thanks. So one more general question, then we just have one audience question. So here's the general question. Here in Rhode Island, the state health department modeling projects that this surge will peak in late October, mid to late October. Yeah. Have you seen any national models that give us any indication of what's happening or will be happening or what we might expect um, nationally yeah. in terms of when this will peak? I think you're going to see different peaks in different places. So I do think that the South is starting to peak now um, and will start coming down. Um, I think I would not be surprised if New England does peak later. And so my uh, my hope is that the peak happens sooner than late October in Rhode Island. But hope is not data. And I've seen some data to suggest that it might be a little earlier than that. But what that means is if the peak, let's say that the peak happens by the end of September, for instance, which would be great to be sooner. That means the peak in hospitalizations will happen mid to late October. So between now and the next two months, we should expect hospitalization numbers to continue to climb. And that worries me immensely for Rhode Island, because when I look at what's happening in Rhode Island and, and in many places, even in New England, across New England, again, I worry about hospital capacity and hospitals really getting full. Yeah, and the, the uh, Department of Health is preparing to reopen the field hospital in Cranston, as I'm sure you know. So uh, we have one audience question today, and someone writes about a friend in California who contracted COVID now has difficulty breathing, and, and this person's pulmonologist apparently didn't have an answer. She appears to fit the category of long haul. You don't give individual medical advice in this podcast, but in general, where should someone with continuing symptoms, be they pulmonary or others, turn to get help or to get guidance? It's a really good question. And, and this is a advice I feel very comfortable giving, which is not individual. I, again, I don't do medical advice because not how you should be spending time on podcasts. But um, I will say there are now several places in the country uh, that are becoming uh, places for studying, understanding what's happening with long COVID. What I have said all my whole life, if you have a condition that's complicated where your local doctor or your ex specialist is struggling, get in a clinical trial. Clinical trials not only generate knowledge, they're the best way to get the best cutting edge care there is. And so there are clinical trials happening uh, through NIH. So the first thing I would say to this person is uh, look up uh, long COVID stuff happening in the NIH and, get, and call up and get into one of the NIH uh, sponsored trials. Yale New Haven. Uh, is doing some really interesting work around long COVID. They're, I think, building a cohort of patients. And I'm sure it's national, meaning 
And again, uh, the person who's overseeing it is this absolutely brilliant uh, immunologist named Akiko Iwasaki uh, at Yale. And so I would do that. NYU Langone is is uh, getting going on this. I know I'm giving a bunch of East Coast answers for your friend in California. I don't know as much about where the major centers are for long COVID, but I will tell you, UCSF, uh, is one of the very best medical uh, centers in the world. And they have terrific people working on COVID. And I would be surprised if they don't have some program on long COVID going. So I would look up what UCSF is doing in this or uh, UCLA, depending on whether you're in Northern or Southern California, reach out to these major academic medical centers, find out what's happening and get into a clinical trial because that's the best way to figure out what's going on and how to get good care. Thank you, Ashish. Uh, I guess we'll probably see you uh, in a couple of weeks, maybe in the middle of September, TBD, but we will be back for sure. Until then, stay safe and thanks as always. It was my pleasure and I'm happy to come back uh, again. I think we had slowed this down a little bit because we thought COVID was turning a corner, uh, but obviously still a lot going on. So I look forward to our next conversation and stay well until then. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We'll